A little bouncer slowly toward Bryant. He will glove it and throw to Rizzo. It's in time. And the Chicago Cubs win the World Series. I remember running home from school, turning on the TV to the Cubs game, sitting with my dad to watch his heroes. Welcome to the World Series Dreaming Chicago Cubs Dreamcast. Not affiliated with the actual Chicago Cubs, but just a bunch of guys who love the local nine and enjoy talking baseball and, of course, the 2016 World Series champion Cubs. After a long hiatus, again... This is Ken, known as Rice Cube on the Twitter, part of World Series Dreaming. And with me is Twitter buddy, Adam Roy. Or is it Roy? It, it is Roy. I am not a French hockey player. You are not a French hockey player. Uh, I'm glad I didn't screw that up. <laughs> nope, I'm perfectly used to it. <laughs> like, my first instinct was Roy, but Roy is like the goalie, the Hall of Fame goalie that we all grew up with. Well... There's a surprising number of 90s hockey fans still out there. Yeah. Well, me more so than you. I'm like a lot older, but uh, yeah, I grew up with, you know, Lemieux and Gretzky and Patrick Waugh and Hush. Mm-hmm. But now now I've gotten out of touch with it because I, I shifted my focus from hockey to baseball, which is what this podcast is about and which you are eminently involved in because you are apparently a baseball umpire. I am, yes. Yeah, so tell me a little bit about that. That that must be a very interesting experience. It's fun. I mean, I basically just do high school varsity and some stuff for an organization called Perfect Game, which they're really good at getting guys drafted. Like, I forget how many of the first rounders in the MLB draft last year all played Perfect Game at some point, and they're good at getting exposure, and I enjoy seeing good baseball. Yeah, I, I know that the kids who like are affiliated with Perfect Game either have to be sponsored or they have to pay through the nose to do it. So obviously, if you're going to do that, they better give you some exposure. <laughs> so are, are you like a single crew uh, umpire or do you actually have like all four base umpires or even like down the line umpires too? Most of the games I do, we just do two umpires, but I'm doing some next Sunday that we'll be doing with three people. So you do have a tag team, so you're not just the only umpire, because like a lot of the games when I was still in Chicago, I coached baseball, and we had single umpires, and every now and then we got lucky and we'd have two umpires, so they'd be less likely to miss a call. But uh, yeah, if you get an umpire who is, for lack of a better word, uh, inexperienced, the strike zone is going to be very amorphous and very frustrating. Yes. So are you normally the behind the plate guy or do you also like roam the rest of the diamond, so to speak? We rotate. Usually how it works is we're doing a, a double header. You'll do one game behind the plate and your partner will do the other game behind the plate. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's kinda of like the uh postseason or in in city rotation that MLP does in a sense. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's cool that we are doing baseball, but another reason why I asked you to do this and it just like dawned on me because, as you know, I am a big Star Trek fan, so are you, and Star Trek is very much entwined with baseball, particularly 
uh, Deep Space Nine, where Captain Sisko and his son are huge baseball fans, and we find out later that uh, his would-be wife. They actually did get married, and then he kind of left her at the series finale. Spoiler alert, but, you know, the show's like 30 years old, so whatever. I think it's okay to spoil the ending now. It's great. It's an excellent series. Uh, In my view, the best of the Star Treks, and I think uh, that's what we're going to discuss today. And unfortunately, you and I, like many others, have been involved with the the pandemic, the COVID-19 SARS-CoV-2 pandemic, so we can discuss that as well. So what do you think of that as a plan, sir? I love this plan. I'm excited to be a part of it. Let's do it. That sounds absolutely fantastic to me. As the spring gave away to summer, Past the ivy-colored dreams Toward the days that kept us Yearning for tomorrow So we'll start off by talking about our experience with this now more than a year old uh, pan- global pandemic. And uh, we'll skip the politics of the situation because that's just extremely irritating and annoying. But you unfortunately had the displeasure of actually contracting the disease. And I, I'm really sorry about that. Okay, it was not a fun experience whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, just kind of just felt dead for about 10 days or so everything hurt you know other than that it was just you know cold symptoms i guess but the worst thing for me was just the body aches and the fatigue like i would go from horizontal to sitting up for a bit and be like okay that's enough energy for today and go back to laying down oh man and uh, i assume you also had the popular uh, symptom of losing your sense of taste and smell as well i actually oh. did not i missed out on that one. Oh, that's very interesting yeah, whatever variant I had didn't come of that. Had pretty much every other symptom besides that, but yeah. not, not those Yeah, two. well, uh, there are several uh, receptors on your cell membranes that uh, the, the virus seems to target, and uh, they are all over your body. So it seems that maybe your, your infection was localized to one part of your body and not so much your olfactory and taste buds. So... And the most important thing is that you got relatively mild symptoms. You seem to have recovered. Are you back to full strength? Like, did it take a while for you to, you know, uh, your conditioning back, uh, full breathing, 100%? Oh, yeah, it was probably about two months until I felt like, okay, I'm back to where I was physically before. Oh, that's crazy. On my side, like, we've been very, very fortunate not to have gotten... COVID-19 ourselves. For the past year plus, I've un- unfortunately had did not have the luxury of working from home. I had to commute. It was like really kind of nerve wracking because, you know, I had to mask up for eight hours a day, except for when I ate lunch. And I just uh, did not feel comfortable taking that mask off. And, you know, like I am working in science, uh, biotech, like doing production, and now I'm doing marketing. But Either way, like we can't work from home in my companies. It doesn't seem very easy to do something no. like that. No, and uh, also we tried to do as much shopping as we could online, but for groceries, like we do have to go out, and it's like amazing how many people are still out and about, 
even though there's a stay-at-home order, but, you know, like everybody else has to get the grocery, so I guess I can't begrudge them about that. Yeah, not a whole lot of places do grocery delivery. Like, we have, it's Hy-Vee, it's like the Midwest chain of, like, Kroger, from my understanding, but they'll have people in the store, you know, shop for you, and then you just come pick it up later. It's super Yeah, handy. they do that a lot at stores here, too. And when I was in the Midwest, I don't think we had a Hy-Vee, but we had, like, Joel Osco, Meyer, and, you know, the Food for Less. Yep. We also had a couple of Kroger stores. I, I did see Kroger when I went to school in North Carolina, so they're all over the place, obviously. They're, mm-hmm. they're trying to do as much as they can to keep the business going but at the same time at least appear to be safe to the customers (laughs) so i am a little older than you and my wife is higher risk so we both were able to get the vaccine i not so much because i'm old as hell but mostly because uh i am considered an essential worker my wife uh, got hers as well as a food service worker so we got first round of vaccines last weekend, and in about three weeks, we get the second dose. And I'm going to tell you, like, if you are able to get it soon, do it as soon as you can before the virus mutates <laughs> and you no longer have that protection. And also, arm's going to hurt like hell. So that's just my warning to you. Yeah, a little arm pain is a lot less worse than what I had to go through. So, yeah, if you can get it, absolutely. Switch on to something much more fun. I'm guessing in <laughs> in the future, the in the idyllic world of Star Trek, we no longer have to worry about this kind of pandemic. Like, you know, you know there's like, you remember that episode in TNG with the plague ship? Like, what was that? Was that Terrellian plague? So they have some really fancy diseases in, in Star Trek, like the Terrellian plague. And that one thing that like made a, uh, Dr. Pulaski all old and stuff because of those supercharged children. And mm-hmm. then in Deep Space Nine, they had like the quickening and that one uh, disease that Section 31 gave to to Odo so that he could infect all the founders. So they have some really crazy diseases like this one that we were talking about earlier is just, you know, as some of the more uninformed populace would say, just a flu. But it is still serious. And so... You, you see situations where even in Star Trek, they have quarantine force fields and uh, isolation suits and uh, like isolation bays and everything. So it's it's actually very amazing how close to reality Star Trek can be, despite being a science fiction show. And one of those things that makes it easy for them to shoot in something more of contemporary times is the holodeck. And one of the favorite episodes that I had and that I just keep thinking about every spring training. I got to see it at least once is a season seven episode called take me out to the hall suite. Are you familiar with that one? Very much. So it's one of my favorites, even if it's not, you know, a typical Star Trek episode. Because yeah, uh, everybody seems to act just slightly out of character. Because uh, by the seventh season, like, you know, they've established storylines, they've established background, they've established uh, certain character traits, but Captain Sisko gets all ornery because the Vulcan guy is uh, being a dick. Very accurate. And Mr. Worf, 
does have a few zingers uh, for the few lines that he has. So I, I really enjoyed it. Death to the opposition. Death to the opposition is a fantastic uh, yeah, one-liner. Find him and kill him. <laughs> find him and kill him! We will destroy them. Yes, just so yeah. many good little one-liners. Yeah. We will destroy them. I think at one point he does look up the infill fly rule because that, that one's always confusing for people. Like I remember even in one game that I coached, like ball popped straight up in the infield and the umpire himself like did not call infill fly. I was like, what the heck are you doing? My guys are sitting ducks. But thankfully nobody caught the ball and everybody got, got to advance and the guy who should have been out got on base and I was just, okay, whatever. Yeah. It worked out for you yeah, in the end. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's it's very interesting how deeply entwined baseball is with Deep Space Nine because in the pilot episode, Emissary, Captain Sisko, uh, then Commander Sisko, was using baseball as a, as a corollary to explain the, the passage of time to the wormhole aliens. Season one, there was a mention of a fictional ball player called Buck Bokai, right? And that's when we learned that baseball will die in 2042, at least in professional terms. So we are about 20 years before that happens. And you can see, like, with the looming CPA negotiations, the way that owners and players are fighting over salary, it's, it's no longer passive aggressive. It's like out there, I, I am argumentative with you kind of aggression between uh, salary elite negotiations, arbitration, file and trial, everything. It's like a, there's a lot more animosity than there used to be. And given all that, and given how much the players have lost and how the owners are just squeezing every drop of profit that they can and not investing it back into their team, you can see why. Correct. You know, every now and then on Twitter, I say baseball dies in 2042. And now we're 21 years away, and uh, it, it is a very big thing. I don't think that baseball will necessarily die, but the game we enjoy now will be vastly different by the time we actually get to 2042. Just, I'm trying to think of all the other baseball references in Star Trek, because I know it's mentioned in, I think it's TNG, Big Goodbye, where they're on the holodeck. And... Oh, that might have been the first... Uh, mention of Buck Bokai, so that's some uh, writer. I was trying to think because yeah, their data is talking to is it the paper yeah. salesman. And, and uh, yeah, you're probably right because they did mention Buck Bokai at some point before Deep Space Nine, and that might have been the episode. And then there was a seems yeah, to ring a bell. Yeah, there was the episode where Jake and Nog try to get a Willie Mays card, a rookie card for uh, Captain mm -hmm. Cisco, and that was kind of fun. Albeit a little bit unrealistic, but that was a good episode in the middle of the Dominion War. But I, I think we can we can actually use the bulk of this to talk about Take Me Out to the Hollow Suite. So yeah, you, tell me what you remember of the episode, and then we'll we'll just keep shooting the breeze on that one. Uh, basically, kind of longtime rival of Cisco's shows up on the station. It's like Solok, yeah. maybe. Uh, he's a Vulcan, Vulcan-sounding name. Shows up as you know, kind of arrogant. Believe he really received some commendation and is, you know, flaunting that in Cisco's face. And like they've had athletic endeavors before. And seeing as the Vulcans have more natural strength, he's come out on top over Cisco previously. And Cisco just happens to challenge him and his crew to a baseball game. And 
Polarity uh, Zeus. Yeah. So, spoiler alert, the Deep Space Nine crew did not technically win the game, but they did have what we would call a manufactured triumph that they were very, very happy about. Manufactured triumph. Here, here. Let's go through the series of events. So, based on what I've read, so there's three actors who are actually very, uh, of the main crew who are very good at baseball. So Avery Brooks, uh, Sirach Lofton, who happens to be Kenny Lofton's nephew. going to say, yep, I thought yeah, they were related. Yeah, so uh, on his podcast at one point, I, I think Sirach Lofton actually explained how how he interacts with Uncle Ken- Kenny. <laughs> Uh, but uh, I, I forgot which episode that was. That was probably, unfortunately, after Aaron Eisenberg died. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, yeah, they did talk about that. And so that's why Captain Sisko is wearing a Giants hat while Sirach, Jake Sisko, is wearing the Braves hat. Because Kenny Lofton, I think, played for both teams. I, I do know that he was a Cub. And I actually think that Kenny Lofton was a Cub the year after the Giants went to the World Series with him also on the team. And obviously, Kenny was uh, with the Cleveland baseball team as well when they went to the World Series a couple of times. So he should be in the Hall of Fame, but unfortunately, uh, you know, he doesn't have the so-called traditional stats, but he was a very good baseball player. Doesn't have all the counting stats. I mean, I pulled up his baseball reference page real quick. Career 299 hitter with a 372 on base. Nearly identical strikeout to walk. Mm-hmm. Stole a lot of bases early in his career and still continued to steal even as he got older. Yeah, he, he was basically like a, a cub for half a season because I think he came over from Pittsburgh in the Ramos Ramirez trade. Is that correct? I think so, yeah. It says 03. Yeah. Because he, he wasn't there the entire season. He he was definitely on the Giants in 02, I believe. Yeah, he did come in the Ramos Ramirez yeah. deal. So, yeah. 02 started with the White Sox and then was traded to the Giants. That, that was a, kind of a heartbreaker for me because I grew up in California and we thought, yeah, you know, they're going to get the World Series and then – you know, it, it turns out that we just had to wait another decade and, and then they would go on their little mini run. But, yeah, that was kind of disappointing considering how much talent was on that team. But, you know, kudos to the Angels, whatever. I, I just remember going to the dinner, like, when the Giants were still up 5 to nothing, and then coming back home and realizing, oh, crap, how did they lose? It was 6-5 now. But uh, that that's baseball for you. It sadly yeah. is, yeah. Anyway, uh, apparently Max Grudenchik, who plays Rom, was a very good high school baseball player and was considering going pro before he uh, decided to become an actor. And he did have a pretty interesting career, uh, mostly bit parts. Uh, he obviously impressed the producers enough to get keep getting asked back on Deep Space Nine, and he played Rom very well. Like there was a major transformation of his character arc over the seasons until he became season seven Rom that, you know, married Lita and uh, became the Grand Nagus. But in this particular episode, he just wanted to play with his son, his Nog. And apparently Aaron Eisenberg was also pretty good at baseball. He had a couple of very good slides in the game. He was, he had a pop-up slide on his triple in the last inning. And then he uh, had a pretty good face first slide. 
uh, into home for their only run for their manufactured triumph. Manufactured triumph, here, here. Back to Max Redenchik. He was so good at playing baseball that they had to make him play left-handed to show how much he sucked. I was gonna say I thought they had him, yeah, play left-handed as to not overpower everyone. Now, now, visitor who plays Major Kira, she got a a flare double down the line, but she was apparently one of the worst. <laughs> at baseball, so uh, I guess she couldn't even catch the ball very well. Do you know who Larry Granillo is on Twitter? He's a Weasenball guy. I don't think the name rings so a bell. So he, he uh, used to write a blog called Weasenball. I think he's a Brewers fan. And he actually uh, wrote about how the Deep Space Nine crew were out of position because if Cisco was one of the better players, he should not have had Kira play shortstop because Kira was uh, pretty bad. Like, yeah. Correct. But I, I guess the outfield made sense because, like, Bashir and Ezri and Quark were fairly talented. They had range. Uh, the other positions, yeah, that, that makes sense. I guess the only way Worf could play was if he was in the outfielder at first because he is left-handed. Mm-hmm. I don't think Nog had a helmet. So so if he got hit in the back of the head. I'm not really sure how you could put a helmet over the That's true. Years. Yeah, I, I guess they, they would have to make a mold mold or something. Mm-hmm. But I did like some of the action. I don't I don't know how how uh Jake's elbow didn't fall off because he was the only guy who was pitching for like the entire practice. And at one point I think uh Dr. Bashir was scanning his elbow as well. So he was young yeah. enough that Probably had a fairly loose arm yeah, still. That, that is true, but uh, I, I guess even 24th century medicine can only do so much because, you know, Chief O'Brien pulled his rotator cuff after all his... His shoulder every time he goes in the holodeck. Yeah, yep. kayaking, baseball. So he can play, and you can't repair that that easily, even with, like, super space medicine. So Tommy John surgery might might be a little different in the 24th century. Quite possible. It might be a lot less invasive than just wave a instrument over it and boom, everything's along. Yeah. At the very um, least, they could like make the scar disappear, so you don't have that like stitching on your elbow anymore. Or, or they'll like grow grow a new UCL on a petri dish and then put it into you. Mm-hmm. They have like cloning technology and stuff. It's a it's a very uh, story specific, you know, story specific writing where they're like, yeah, and. This technology, we can totally do this, and then sometimes in the next episode, they'll totally forget that they did that, and you're like, but where's this technology now? Yeah, in some instances, it's by the seat of their pants, and they kind of just figure something out that works, and, you know, it's possible it doesn't get spread through all the Federation that quick in some instances. Mm -hmm. So I guess in the the very last scene, they get Nog the third I think there's probably two outs in the inning, and so that's their their last chance to score even one run. They're down ten to nothing in the bottom of the ninth. You know, Ben Sisko, who had gotten thrown out by Odo, which was a very funny scene. Like, uh, have you ever thrown anybody out of the game before as an umpire? Not in baseball, but I have tossed a couple people in basketball. Oh, you do basketball as well. Uh, how's that? Like, uh, is it hard to call? And, and football. Oh, really? So you're, so you're like a triple threat ref? <laughs> I suppose, yeah. It keeps me on my toes. There have been a couple of times. Well, I used to do soccer, but not as seriously. There was one time a couple of years ago, 
I did soccer one night, baseball the next, and basketball the day after that. And it was very confusing by the third day. Just like, okay, what's the objective of this game? And what do I use to call, you know, infractions? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it seems like you're at least versed in the rules. But uh, yeah, I kind of had to look up the rule, but I think he did. Uh, Odo as the umpire actually did reference the correct rule as per the rule book. Uh, in that if you touch the umpire, that's an automatic ejection. And so he applied that correctly. I don't know if they referenced the infield fly rule correctly. They just called it chapter 25, but I think that's actually in like, if, if it's runner rule, would that be rule six or rule seven? I for, totally forget. I'd have to look up the, the rule book, but. Anyway, I I don't think there are 25 chapters in the in the MLB rulebook. No, I'm sure it evolved over time and things were split up more and you know other rule interpretations were added and depending on how long Rob Manfred was in charge, more goofy rules were added. Yeah. So this is what I remember. So in one of the first times that uh, Cisco was dating Cassidy Yates. Uh, I think this was actually their first date. She was, you know, getting ready to leave because the date was going sour. And then she mentioned the baseball game for the Pike City Pioneers, which are on Cestus 3. And any hardcore Trekkie knows that Cestus 3 is where the Gorns are or had attacked the Federation. And that's uh, why they have hostilities with the federation and then captain kirk had to fight that dinosaur on that planet because because <laughs> of some weird god guy <laughs> so anyway that's just the street but now apparently the gorns have decided hey we don't we don't want to deal with you anymore so you can resettle this planet random humans and on this random planet they have decided to set up like an 18 league that does not use the designated hitter because they respect tradition. <laughs> so so I, I thought that, that was kind of funny. Speaking of which, uh, it seems like the National League are going to dispense with a de designated hitter this season only, unless something weird happens between now and opening day. But uh, what are your thoughts on the designated hitter? And also in high school and college ball, like as an umpire, what kind of rules do you guys use to determine whether or not to use one? I guess my thoughts on the DH are, while it is extremely fun when a pitcher, you know, gets a home run, you know, Don Lester hitting one or, you know, Carlos Sombrano hit multiple big flies, but in most cases you're going to have the pitcher strike out or hit a weak grounder. And as a lot of folks have been saying, if you want to make the game more exciting, having an automatic out isn't really the way to do yeah. that but i guess it doesn't make sense to me that one league has the dh and one league doesn't have the dh yeah. like that's just kind of goofy right and the interesting thing is like when you go to yeah so are, how close are you to des moines anyway two hours okay so which is the closest minor league team to you that has been folded by mlp yet the cedar rapids colonels the a league i guess high league high a league affiliate now of the twins oh, okay so they probably wouldn't use DH, or I'm sorry, they wouldn't let their, their pitcher hit because they're an a, uh, AL affiliate. But when you go to iCubs games, uh, do they use the DH, or do they do they have the pitcher hit, or is it just like whatever the pitcher's or the manager's mood is that day? Generally, I think they've had the pitcher's hit. It's been a couple of 
since I've been to a game, as it probably has for most people, but yeah, 99% certain they have pitchers yeah. up there. Because every now and then, even in NL versus NL minor league games, I see both teams using the DH, so it, it kind of seems weird that in certain aspects, like if your team is an affiliate of the a, a National League team, why wouldn't you want your pitchers to hit when they can, you know? But I'll also, I guess, uh, during rehab stints, uh, they need to give at-bats to, to certain uh, rehabbing players, so... Those at bats are seated to the DH spot. And get penciling yeah. them in there where they can, you know, only hit and maybe not have to field for a day or so can be beneficial in the rehab process. Absolutely. Yeah. So in that that sense, like if you're not going to consistently, you know, have pitchers hit anyway, why not just do away with it? And I guess to follow up more on your question of it being used in high school, so the rules of the National Federation that we play under you can dh for any position oh yeah you know that would be an interesting role because i thought about this uh with the dh like there's no reason for you to dh for the pitcher only if the pitcher actually knows how to hit but if you have like glove first second baseman who can't hit a lick why not dh for that guy instead that happens every now and then yeah because i mean you know high school kids are still developmental wise still pretty even if most of them have put the effort into hitting and mm -hmm. pitching for their lives but then yeah as you get into college there's obviously a lot more specialization if you want to stick with it and then periodically you know there'll be a pitcher leading off some games that i do or now that i think about there are quite a few yeah you know a glove first shortstop or a glove first second baseman getting dh'd for sometimes the catcher just so they can focus on just catching and you don't have to worry about them ending up on base and then taking forever to get their gear on between innings. Yeah, they do that a lot in the high school. They use the courtesy runner rule yep. as well. And I guess it, it would be kind of cool to do that, to save wear and tear on the catcher's legs. And it, it's like kind of impressive how, say, a guy like Wilson Contreras, he's squatting for like seven innings. He hits a triple and he's like full speed, like by mm -hmm. three or four innings. If I'm catching bullpens for my kids, like my legs are burning, man. So I, I have no idea how he's in good enough shape to do that. It's, like, crazy. Professional athletes are crazy. That's all I yeah. can come up with. And I, I'm sure he, he's, like, in all kinds of pain and soaking in a bathtub, like, right after the game. But during the game, like, I don't know if it's adrenaline or if he's just, like, I, I'm going to give him my all, et cetera, et cetera. But it, it's like they don't even feel it. They, they just go all out. Yeah, which, I mean, they have access to much higher quality training and rehab staff than the average person and i'm sure you know they're getting good food other stuff to keep them in tip-top shape as long as possible but yeah i don't know how you can squat that long and not feel it so i'm, I'm sure there are uh, rules against uh, professional masseuses and in, in high school locker rooms to help loosen up the, the legs after the game <laughs> yeah most schools have you know an athletic trainer on site or they contract with you know a physical therapy office or a hospital have someone there just in case something mm -hmm. happens. But yeah, other than that, that's the extent of a training program that they have. Yeah, it seems like you guys uh, have a better organization than we did in Chicago. I, I don't know if it's because, unfortunately, a lot of the schools that I worked with were very under-resourced. So it was basically 
the coaches and maybe a couple parents and that was it like we didn't have a designated medical person on on site if somebody got hit they just you know we just called their parents and they picked them up and drove them to the hospital which is definitely not ideal so it's good that uh, there's some infrastructure that you guys set up to that yeah, I'm not sure if that's a recent development or requirement that they've added with high schools, but it's very handy. Yeah. The one thing that I did notice, though, is that they are very stringent with pitch counts now. So, like, they, they have, like, a strict 105 pitch uh, limit for each yep. player. And I, I think that might have been mandated by something that uh, was set up by Major League Baseball to improve pitcher health as as kids develop. So it, it's something like 105 if you have had five more days of rest. And then if it, it drops by like 20 to 25 pitches each day that you haven't had rested. And if you pitched the previous day, like the two days combined, you can't have more than like 120 pitches or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it also depends on your age. Like a senior can throw more pitches before they hit their threshold limit than a freshman can, which makes sense because their, you know, arms are more developed. Yep. Yeah. Uh, the one thing that I do remember from the episode, Take Me Out the Hall Suite, is a couple of rules, kind of gripes that I had. At the time, it was late 90s, there was no collision rule. So that was before Buster Posey got got destroyed. Mm -hmm. That was before the Chase Utley thing. So you saw Vulcan basically take out Major Cure at second base. And I guess guess at that time, they, they said, rather, I believe the exact quote was, is that legal? And Cassidy said, I, I'm afraid so. And so at some time between now and the 24th century, they reverted the rules to allow collisions again, which I don't know is necessarily safe because everybody's so much bigger and stronger and faster now. So what what's your mm-hmm. take on the collision rule? I mean, the number one priority isn't necessarily safety because, I mean, if it was, you wouldn't allow people to be launching high-speed projectiles at mm-hmm. one another. But I think you have to mitigate the risks as much as you can and, you know, try and avoid catchers getting multiple concussions or, you know, infielders having their shins sliced open by cleats, yeah, you know? absolutely. So I, I feel like there's room for a happy medium, but you also have to give the the runner a balanced chance to get to the next base, I think. Yes. So I, I'm not entirely sure what the, the answer is. I think there are stipulations where... If the catcher is not positioned correctly, he can get plowed into with no penalties of the runner because that just becomes incidental contact rather than, you know, straight up mm-hmm. Pete Rose destroying a guy in the all-star game kind of thing. That didn't happen to Nug. Actually, that that reminds me of the second rules gripe in that the Vulcan forgot to step on home plate and the Nug had to find yep. him and kill him. Find him and kill him! Yeah. <laughs> but my understanding of that rule is that if every diamond, at least at the major league and college level, has a circle. Now, in high school, I'm not sure how well that circle is defined. In our fields, they were pretty ill-defined. But there is a circle. I'd say the diameter is no more than about 15 feet, where if the base runner 
over slides home plate and then leaves the circle, he's automatically out. So by that rule, even uh, back then in the late 90s, he should have been out. But I, I'm not entirely sure about that. The high school rule is if they miss home, you can appeal it, you know, throw it to the catcher, step on home, and then they'll, you know, rule safer out just like, you know, any other missed mm-hmm. base. Yeah, but what's interesting is that, like, Odo just kind of sat there with his arms crossed waiting for something. In classic yeah. fashion. And, yeah, mm-hmm. but as an umpire, are you allowed to tell them, like, what's going on, or do you just, like, let them figure it out? Like he did. Nope. I left them figured out in that case. And if they ask questions, I will answer them to the best of my ability. So that that is really what an umpire would have done, or at least what you would have done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then once the next play, be that a pitch or a pickoff happens, the previous play is legal. It happened. Nothing you can do right. about it. Right. It's kind of like in football. That's why they kind of hurry to the line. Or in baseball, they, Hurry they, up. they have to... So, of like getting a review yeah, here. Or in baseball, they're just like, well, do I challenge? Do I challenge uh, 30 seconds and you're done? One of the things that, that I really liked about the episode was how, like, at the end, it wasn't about winning anymore. It was about having fun. Like, obviously, if, if you're a professional baseball team, you'd like to win to try to generate as much income as possible. And uh, it doesn't seem like that's the goal anymore, but that's his story for, for a little later. But... I did like that uh, they finally got that run on a pretty much perfect safety squeeze button, even if it was accidental. Mm-hmm. Like, I felt like the Vulcan catcher had a chance to throw out Rom at first base, but he ended up uh, going for home instead. And uh, I think even with or without replay, Nog would have been safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, curious if they, you know, back in the 90s, even thought of replay being a major part of baseball yeah i i don't know because captain cisco is sort of a traditionalist so he probably would have like scoffed at replay he wanted a actual a uh, human-ish umpire in the form of odo the shapeshifter and humanoid form and so he probably would not have liked computer as empire umpires in fact he said as such when Odo suggested it wouldn't a computer umpire be better and he said no i want the human element and that's got kind of like a battle between these traditionalists and the folks who just want them to call it right darn it mm-hmm. but i always kind of wondered why they didn't you know have another couple other umpires just i know odo's fair and just but he can't see everything well you don't know how good uh changeling eyes are like he probably could see everything but it's quite yeah, possible i mean who could consider that the entire changeling is an eyeball because he doesn't necessarily have organs, right? So even though, you know, he's got those eyes in, in his face, like, you know, he could see out of a hair follicle or his big toe or whatever. <laughs> so so he, he probably, probably could have picked up on stuff. I don't know. It's a fun thought experiment. Star Trek saying that baseball might die in 2042. Now, Star Trek's pretty good about a lot of things. They got us, like, uh, in the early aughts, the flip phone. So you guys remember the Motorola Razor? That's basically the Star Trek communicator. Mm -hmm. All the PDAs. Just pads. Absolutely. 
video conferencing. Yeah, they, they even predicted that the moon landing would be on like a Saturday or something like that. And it was. And uh, we are, unfortunately, three years away from the Bell Riots, and uh, it's gotten pretty bad. So that was oddly and probably unintentionally prescient of them. But the big thing that we want to talk about is to stop baseball from dying in 2042. So in your opinion, what are the things that need to be done to prevent that from happening? I guess the big thing is a person from Iowa where we're blacked out from six teams is just expand access to the product. I know... Major League Baseball is very fond of keeping their product close and regulating any kind of content that they can, but just you're not going to be able to grow the game if, when you're blacked out from seeing a large chunk of their product. And I mean, it's a four-hour drive to Chicago for me. That's not just you know an easy trip. No. You know, we can do it in a day in the back if we want to go to an afternoon game or something. But I mean, even in Far western Iowa, that's another four hours away. That's an eight-hour drive, and that's still blacked out. I mean, even Hawaii's blacked out from the Giants. Probably all the West Coast teams, to be honest. Yeah. No one in Hawaii is going to go to a Major League Baseball game, probably, but just expand access to the product and keep the game fun. I know some of the old guard of managers and broadcasters aren't a fan of folks bat-flipping or pimping home runs or whatever, but I guess as a younger person in my case i love seeing that absolutely oh real quick you are blacked out from let's see twins probably the Sox and the cubs brewers cardinals and the royals is that is that all of them i believe that's that's the six yes so how do you watch baseball then in iowa well i guess before marquee network came up luckily a, a local channel would pick up 60 to 80 cubs games a year or so from you know wgn or chicago sports net and you're just hopeful of a national broadcast every now and then. Like a, and like another part of it was through Twitter, even though I wouldn't be watching the game, but multiple other folks that were watching the game would be tweeting stuff, and it'd be kind of just fun to interact that yeah. way. Yeah, that's that's something that I like to do as well. Unfortunately, if you're streaming the game, they're like a minute ahead at, at times. So just like, thanks, spoilers. Mm-hmm. But are you actually uh, able to pick up the AM signals from the the broadcasts on the Chicago stations? Yes, we listen every now and then. We'll listen to, you know, Pat and Ron. or I mean, a lot of times when I was little, my dad and I listened to Pat and Ron Santo Mm -hmm. do their stuff. And, yeah, there's an Iowa City station that picks up most of the Cubs radio broadcasts. Oh, that's great. So so at least you have some access, but it would be great to have more access. And I think yes. like earlier, the Major League Baseball had a beef with the pitching ninja, and now he's more free to reign because he's actually bringing in fans, and MLB kind of realized that. So the sooner they realize that, hey, maybe we should make, like I know that there's lucrative deals and you know broadcast rights and streaming rights, but maybe just let more people, like you said, let more people see the games, let more people choose the teams that they want to see, irrespective of the geography, and that would work. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the big things that I think needs to be done is probably a salary floor uh, to force cheap teams to actually pay their players and pay for good players and possibly a salary cap as well. Like, I think 
at some point, like it would be very difficult to negotiate that with the union because of how free agency kind of evolved between the uh, mid nineties and now. But if I'm looking at like the, the way the NBA is set up, they have far fewer players than MLB or the NFL anyway, but they seem to be paying their stars a hell of a lot of money, even with the salary cap. So I feel like that can be done. I just don't have the expertise to figure out how. I 100% agree on the salary yeah. floor. Yeah, because you you don't want Florida or Miami now to just say, I'm taking all your revenue sharing funds. Tampa just, just sit on whatever amount they get from revenue sharing and and then they just like just pocket they the just rest. sold off their uh their world series participant team trading away blake snell and stuff even the cubs like you know they should not have traded away you darvish but what's done is done and thankfully it seems like the offense should be able to score a few runs but i'm worried about the pitching and i'm also worried that uh, what's happening in arizona you know they tell you never to look at spring stats but you also like to see that people are doing well in spring. But I, I hope that uh, some of what they're showing isn't a mirage, isn't a desert mirage, and they actually bring some of that back uh, to the regular season. Because if they can't score runs and if the pitching's bad, then uh, this is going to be a very bad year for Cubs fans. The good news is the rest of the division is not looking super strong either. But yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if put it all together at the same time. I, I don't know. It seems like uh, the other teams are suffering their share of injuries. Uh, the Cubs have been relatively lucky in that department, and it almost seems like what they're trying to cobble together in terms of the pitching rotation is going to work in a way, but it's not going to blow anybody away. They'll just be what we call serviceable, right? <laughs> so I guess what we will see what goes up, but... Uh, Hopefully this is one that Star Trek gets wrong because I, I want to be able to watch baseball games like live out of the pandemic <laughs> and with some grandchildren. Yes. And and I'd like to it to be like in a full stadium and not just the 300 fans in the 2042 world. Uh, I've done this, so I'm kind of out of the loop in terms of prospects, and I'm also out of practice in terms of doing podcasts. We used to do this like once a week, and then I moved back to California, and we haven't been able to do this quite as easily, especially since uh, the Ricketts have been, you know, pissing me off for about two years now. Yeah, it's truly marvelous how you win a World Series, and then within three, four years, all the goodwill they had is absolutely gone. Yeah. And it's not even the players' fault. Like, I think they're trying their best. And uh, in my view, they're all legends, like everybody from that 2016 team. They're legends. They deserve to get their, you know, free steak sandwich whenever they step into the sandwich shop. Mm -hmm. But it's kind of annoying how some fans, like, are not as grateful as they should be. Now, I do think in terms of, well, this particular course should have won a few more uh, titles, but 
uh, as we all know, baseball is kind of a crapshoot, and sometimes you just don't get lucky, like the Dodgers finally won in the pandemic year. And I, Year in, year yeah. out, we're making deep playoff runs and just couldn't get up and up, but they yeah. got to finally. And the Cubs as well, like they did make the playoffs, and they were in contention late into the season, and that's really all you can hope for. So I think in that sense, the front office did their job. They just could, couldn't maximize it to what we fans would have liked. One of the cool things is uh, this is like we rebooted the Dreamcast uh a while back, like we actually had a different version of Dreamcast, but the gentleman who we did it with uh, stopped hosting, and uh, so we lost all those previous episodes. But this is the 49th episode of our revival, and uh, our number 49 did come back in Jake Arrieta, so I hope that he's able to do well. I hope he's able to impart some wisdom into the younger younger pitchers. Uh, Hope some of these names that we keep hearing about pan out in the next couple of years so that this particular Cubs team doesn't fall off a cliff. And I really hope Anthony Rizzo and Javier Baez are Cubs for life. And that's, that's pretty much all I have right now because I don't know how far this team's going to go and what would be still a pandemic season, but with some sense of normalcy coming back if people stop acting stupid. Yeah, that'd be quite nice. What do you think? How many wins? I think they'll be over 500, just barely. So like 82, 83, 84 or so. Okay. And I wouldn't be surprised if they only win 75 or so, you know? It just depends who clicks and if Hap's adjustments are legit. All right. Mid-season, Cubs are hovering at 500. Buy or sell. I really hope they would buy, but I'm not so sure ownership would do that for being yeah, honest. Yeah, they're being kind of cheap right now. Not entirely sure how much money they have because they they don't have the books open. Okay, let's say they sell. Who who are we nope. trading? Uh, Zach Davies would be an obvious trade candidate because I believe he only has one deal, mm-hmm. one year remaining on his deal, and just yeah, I guess whoever else from the core that they think they could get a decent return on that they don't want to extend. Yeah, I don't think they're extending Bryant, so he's probably trade fodder, unless they keep him and then they give him the qualifying offer. I guess they'll they'll have to give the qualifying offer before they figure out what the next CBA does, right? Because they just kind of act on it and then hope that the the CBA allows them to rework something. Retains that function, yeah. Either you retain the function or you have a stipulation that says, you know, we renegotiated this. So now this qualifying offer becomes a different qualifying offer or becomes a different mechanism or transaction or whatever. Yeah, like they used to have the type A and type B for Yeah, agents. I don't think that's going to happen because they, something like that. They, they condensed the draft quite a bit. So I don't think that's going to happen. That would expand it a little too much. So draft pick-wise... I don't think that will happen, but maybe there there's a way for them to funnel more money to the draftees to entice people to pick baseball. Maybe there's a way to funnel more money to first and second year players before arbitration so that, uh, you know, they get paid more what they're they're eventually going to be worth. And then arbitration is a little more, more reasonable. And also pay the money. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah, you you heard about that one uh, prospect who got caught smuggling like 
21 bags of meth or, or something. 21 pounds, yeah. yes. That's ridiculous. And he did that for $500. Like, that's how desperate some of these guys are. And that's unfortunate. So if you at least pay them a living wage, uh, things like these would, I don't think they'd necessarily go away completely, but they would be less frequent because it makes sense, right? From a player development perspective, wouldn't you want your future major league product to have, you know, the best nourishment and training that they possibly could? Because, I mean, wasn't that Carl Edwards Jr. when he was coming up slept on an air mattress and, you know, a teammate's living room of their apartment that had two or three other guys in it just so they could all make ends meet. Yeah, if you, you're not like a draft bonus baby, you're, you're going to have a very bad time, unfortunately. And that that's no good. I think this coming year, uh, minor league players are supposed to see like a like at least a 50 to 83% increase in their salary, which is still very, very little, but it's a little bit more. So they'll be able to... M- it's something. They'll be able to make an extra peanut butter and jelly sandwich. You know what? What's very surprising? <laughs> what's very surprising is that's like you'd think they give uh, them at least an allowance for good food and gym equipment, but they don't do that. Like having professional athlete subsist on ramen and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches is not good. It, it's just not not what you would think a professional athlete's diet which should be. It, it's no wonder a lot of them break down because they're not training right. They're tired. They're probably not sleeping right. Their backs probably hurt from the bad mattresses, and etc. It's it, it doesn't seem like a wise investment or I guess lack thereof. Just, it's not conducive to them being the best possible player product on the field. So I think if we want baseball to continue to live on, make sure you take care of your players, take care of the fans too, because it, it would be kind of nice to actually be able to afford to go to more than one game a year. Definitely let us watch the games. That seems so it simple. It does, but, you know, money. <laughs> it almost seems like somebody should tell them that if they spent a little more money, they might make back even more money than what they spent because people would be more inclined to invest in merchandise yeah, and whatnot. I seem to recall something about after the Cubs won the World Series in 16, just how much of a killing the team made in World Series merch in the couple of days afterwards, which, I mean, you know, I bought multiple shirts, a hat, stuff <laughs> like that. I wouldn't have bought otherwise. Yeah, my wife has a Rizzo uh, World Series patch jersey now. Yeah, oh, very we, nice. We have a few few good memories from that, like, you know, newspapers, uh, the bobbleheads. De- definitely good. Like, I, I do have the Rizzo uh, last out bobblehead, and I'm very glad I was able to get that. So that was the one game that I decided to afford that particular season. Very glad I got that. The beauty and the history in this cathedral The sky so blue against the grass so green Thank you so much for hanging out with me tonight. I know that, you know, our time difference um, on the West Coast, you're in the Midwest, is not very helpful, but I'm glad you're feeling better and not concussed. And I'm happy to have been able to talk Star Trek with somebody else, have it relate to baseball. 
So this being Dreamcast 49, you can follow us on World Series Dreaming. We are on Facebook. We have also have our website, uh, worldseriesdreaming.com. have an Instagram and Twitter. That was, those are going to be in the show notes. Uh, Adam, where can we find you? Sir? Pretty much every social thing that exists for me is RoidRage12. Okay. If you're so inclined to follow me on Twitter and be entertained by my nonsensical tweets every yeah. now and then. Yeah, mostly mostly baseball and Star Trek and nerd stuff. But I am a giant nerd. Nerd! 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 And that's probably why I really like baseball, even though the analytics kind of uh, unfortunately seem to have ruined the game. But we'll see what happens. We're, we're going to make sure that baseball doesn't die. Our theme song is by friend of the podcast, Rich Deanna. Uh, Randall Sanders was able to get us the radio call of the final out from the 2016 World Series, which the Cubs won, because people forget that. Uh, I'd like to, th- yeah, they do. I'd like to thank everybody, like all three of you who are listening to this, and I promise that as I get my life back in order as we get out of this pandemic. Please get vaccinated and keep your masks on until uh, the stupidity ends. Uh, thank you so much again for joining me, Adam. I hope we can get the chance to do this again, maybe with a better script, but we'll see. Yeah, my pleasure. That was a lot of fun. But uh, let me edit the heck out of this one. And until next time, everybody, I don't know when the next time is, but I hope it'll be soon. Go Cubs. It was more than just a game.